I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but I'm a churchman. And I was raised in a different uh, church structure, the Roman Catholic Church. And I did not understand what the New Testament church was about. And at the age of 19, I was exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time where my understanding really opened up. And it was shortly after that that I ended up going to Bible school. Um, And everything was just brand new to me. It was kind of like from black and white to high-definition color. And I never forget reading through the book of Acts and just watching the church. It's birth at Pentecost... And then it's, it's spreading out throughout the world through the apostles' ministry. You know, the book of Acts really tells us how the Great Commission is to be carried out. And it is through churches planting churches, planting churches. It's not individuals witnessing. That's part of it. But these individuals are part of a church. And all you have to do is go to Acts 13 and 14 and understand how that works. Because the apostles were sent out by the churches. So, today we're going to talk about the church. There's members that are going to become part of the church today, new members. There are two new deacons that we're bringing on board, and there are staff members that I'm going to announce to you that we've taken on staff, unbeknownst to you. Um, And so, it's all about the church today. Now, here's four people and their respective attitudes towards the church. See if you fit in with these people. If you do, come see me after the service, okay? Here's John. He's an individual. I follow Jesus, but not into organized religion. I'd rather go for a hike on Sunday. How about Lynn? She's a church hopper. I like being here for a while, but I've also been there for a while. At least I'm somewhere pretty much every Sunday. Here's Natalie. I title her Meet My Needs, Natalie. Okay. I found a great singles group. I always go there on Sunday night. But I really get a lot out of Pastor X's sermons, so I go there sometimes on Sunday morning. And over at that church, they have a wonderful Bible study I go to when I'm not too busy. And finally, Jose. He's uninvolved and disengaged, but a churchgoer. Oh, I love the preaching at this church, but I tend to slip out right afterwards. Not really a people person. Never really thought of joining. Really don't connect with anybody. What's the, what's the purpose of membership? Well, what do they all have in common? They all consider themselves to be Christians, and they all have a similar view of how unimportant it is to commit to a local church. And they all suffer from a fundamental misunderstanding of what the New Testament describes as a Christian and the believer's relationship with the church, not to mention their underdeveloped understanding of the church itself and how it functions. One theologian, a friend that I love to read, His last name is McEwen. He said this, Scripture teaches that the local church is the pillar and support of the truth. In 1 Timothy 
3.15. The pillar and support of the truth. Truth has fallen on hard times these days, but not in the scriptures. And it is the only God-appointed, the church, is the only God-appointed institution authorized to carry out God's program of witness and service on earth during this present age. That's a very important statement. Evangelism and missionary endeavors are ultimately to be under the direction and supervision of a local church. Converts are to be gathered into a Bible-believing and Bible-teaching local church for nurture and for growth and discipleship. And the local church becomes the base of operations then for converts to go on and win others to Christ. We must regard the church as important for the following reasons. Number one, now if you're taking notes today, and I highly suggest take notes, okay? There's ample space on the bulletin to take notes. Take notes because I'm going to be not so much preaching an expository message today as divulging what I understand the New Testament to teach about the church, And the first reason that we need to regard the church as being important is that Christ founded the church. In Matthew 16, 18, he said, I will build my church. It's not Steve Linetti's responsibility to build the church. It's nobody's responsibility to build the church, nor are we to dictate what the church is to look like. The church is very evident through the book of Acts, and through the 13 13, epistles that Paul wrote, and it's very clear what the church is to look like when you, you look at those texts. But Jesus Christ founded the church. Number two, Christ purchased the church with his own blood. In Acts 20, 28, we read that, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That's a reason to count the church important because Christ purchased the church with his own blood. Thirdly, the church is the body of Christ. According to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, and chapter 4, verse 12, we read in 123 that he gave him, Jesus Christ, God gave him as head over all things to the church. And in 4.12 it says that there is the building up of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is comprised of regenerate people, those who have been born again, those who have entrusted their lives to Jesus Christ and who therefore now are part of a group universally called the body of Christ, locally called the local church. Okay? So the church is the body of Christ. Fourthly, the church is a chief instrument for glorifying God in the world. First Peter 2.12. We are to keep our behavior, Peter says, excellent among the Gentiles. And in that context, he would be talking about we as believers are to keep our conduct excellent among the world because Gentiles were considered the world at that time. So that, there's a reason, the purpose that we're to keep our conduct excellent is because 
when they slander you, which they will do, and it will increase, right? They may become, uh, they, they, when they slander, they will do so because of your good deeds, and then that, your good deeds, will glorify God. 1 Peter 2.12 says it's much clearer. I don't know what the problem is today, maybe because I'm coming down with a cold or something, so you can all start praying for me. Got a lot to get through, and I really it's really important. And fifthly, the last reason, the church is God's instrument for bringing the gospel to the nations in this age. From Pentecost all the way to the rapture of the church, we are in what is called the church age. The church age. It's a new and dynamic thing. It's something that the Old Testament really didn't see. It had to be revealed. It was a mystery in the Old Testament, and it was not really explained in the Old Testament, but that mystery was revealed by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. And in Acts 13, verse 47, you can mark this verse out, it's very exciting, Paul's word to the Gentiles as he was ministering to them, he was preaching to them on his first missionary journey, and he said this to them, God has said, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Now he's quoting Isaiah 42, 6. Because Israel was to be a light unto the nations, which they did not do. They did in part because they were the oracle of the Old Testament. So the Old Testament came to us through the uh, Israelites, but they were not, they became us foreign no more. They became very inclusive and exclusive. Okay? They didn't let people in. In fact, they viewed the Gentiles, who they should have been a light to for salvation, they viewed the Gentiles as dogs and called them as much. But Paul is making a huge transference here. He's saying, even as Israel was to be a light unto the Gentiles, to bring salvation to the end of the earth, now you are to be a light and bring salvation to the end of the earth. So those are five reasons we should really value the church. And with that, let, let's pray and just ask God to bless our time together. Open our eyes and our understanding and give me the excitement that I really feel in my heart so I can get it out of my mouth, okay? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so very, very much for this day in which we're going to bring, bring new members into the church. We're so grateful to you for the fact that you continue to bring people to Beacon of Hope through the outreach of our own members talking to other folks and through evangelism and even through the area of radio and social media where people are actually able to listen to sermons and then decide that they'd like to come visit. Lord, we're grateful for all of this. And we would pray that these truths that are coming to us today from your word and from a sound ecclesiology, a study of the church, that it would excite us as a church and that we would go away encouraged and strengthened in the faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Now, I want you to go back to the backside of your bulletin. Um, I didn't tell 
Marlin, not to steal my thunder. So he stole my thunder a little bit today. But our mission statement is we exist to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ in word and deed by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God the Father. Now, our mission statement is actually stolen or drawn from 1 Peter 2.9, where Peter identified the church as those who are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, specifically those who have been called out of darkness. Indeed, the very word translated church in the New Testament means called out people. The word church is ecclesia. Ecclesia, it's a compound word. Ek means out from. And kaleo, ecclesia. Kaleo means called. And so in a Christian context, you can say that the church is a group of people who are called out in Christ and who regularly come together for the purpose of worshiping God. It's not a building. It's not even a place of worship. It is you. You are the ecclesia of God. As a chosen, holy, and called out of darkness people of God. It's our privilege and joy then to proclaim the excellencies of Christ to a crooked and a perverse generation in which we will shine as lights in the world. That's our purpose. That's our purpose statement. That's what we're supposed to be about. So in this way, we'll spread our love for God. Now, that word proclaim in 1 Peter 2.9, ex it means to tell out, to proclaim abroad, to publish completely, to show forth. Okay? So it's done not only in words, but also in deeds. And what we are to show forth in words and deeds are the excellencies of Christ. That is all that is praiseworthy, everything that is virtuous, everything that is morally good, and all of this distinguishes Jesus Christ to a world that doesn't know him. That's what we are to be about as a church. Now, Jesus Christ drives our mission at every level, and the proclamation of his excellencies are intentionally woven into the very fabric of our church life, whether it be Bible studies, Sunday schools, uh, uh, midweek Bible studies, whatever we do, prayer meetings on, on Sunday evenings, whatever we do, whether it's the expositional preaching, the teaching of Scripture, to corporate worship and prayer, devoted to one another and good deeds, which we are and I hear about. There's so much going on. You people are being such a blessing to one another. I can't keep up with it. I can't even keep your names. I'm starting to lose track of who's who because there's new people coming every week. This is exciting stuff. Jesus said, I will build my church. I just made the comment to the worship team and back, I don't know what's going on. We haven't changed our advertisement on KKMS for like a year and a half. It's the same ad. And it's like the manager there, the the guy that sells us the airtime, keeps on contacting me every quarter going, 
Time for a new message. Time for a new little copy. Can you give us something more? If anybody wants to help us make a new message for that advertisement, come see me. Okay? But it's exciting to see what God is doing. And, and let me tell you, we have chosen five pillars to enable us to carry out this mission that you see on the back of your bulletin. There's five pillars that undergird our work and our ministry as Beacon of Hope Church. And I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 2, and I'm just going to read to you from verses 42 and following. Now, this is taking place right after the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church. Prior to Pentecost, the church did not exist. Do not believe that Israel is a church of the Old Testament. That is not true. Israel was the nation of God that God chose out for himself, the apple of God's eye, a very special and a unique people. But the church was something brand new that God did, and it started on the day of Pentecost with the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Prior to Pentecost, the Holy Spirit did not indwell all believers He came upon them for acts of service during the Old Testament, but he did not indwell them. That is unique to the New Testament. So Acts 2.42 begins like this. They, meaning all the people that had come to salvation through the preaching, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. There we go. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Now, you've got to understand, at the day of Pentecost, there were still people that were in Jerusalem after the death of Jesus Christ, they had all come and they were still lingering in Jerusalem afterwards and so there were a lot of people that didn't have food. There were a lot of people that needed help and so this group of newly minted believers, if you will, were beginning to help those new believers that were from other areas. And verse 46 says, day by day, continuing with one mind, the unity, in the temple, And in breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's the start of the church. It's a marvelous thing. And and we've, we've taken out from this text five pillars that we operate on. The first one would be Worship and prayer. You see that in verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Worship and prayer. We purpose and pursue God-centered worship and prayer corporately for the congregation and privately for individuals and families. At Beacon of Hope, this is, this is a focus that we have. The first pillar, prayer and worship. 
And we want to honor God and exalt Christ and joyfully respect him as the normal daily experience of our lives as members of Beacon of Hope. Notice I, I, I didn't say just the church, I meant individually. You should be doing this on a daily purpose in your life. And we intentionally want you to do that as members of Beacon of Hope. We intentionally work to equip the spiritual disciplines of personal prayer and devotions by providing venues for teaching and fellowship. Uh, At 9 o'clock, we get together all throughout this building for Sunday schools and worship time, um, fellowship groups getting together as adults. And we promote that such activities must flow out of hearts that are filled with gospel gratefulness and marked by a hunger only regeneration creates in every true believer. One way that you know that you're regenerate is if you have a hunger for God's word and you have a hunger for prayer and a hunger for fellowship with other believers. If it's a burden for you to come to church on Sundays, there's something wrong, okay? There's something wrong. I want to talk about this, this personal going into corporate because it's a cool concept that is very, very obvious in the body of Christ. Personal worship, what I, what I mean by personal worship is reading your Bible, whether you read it in the morning or you read it in the evening or maybe during your lunch period or whatever, but a daily intake of God's word that you do personally, personal worship and times of prayer by every member individually, will result in the glorious exaltation in corporate worship. All we do when we get together is we extend what we have been doing personally on an individual level in our homes. And it should just be an explosion of exaltation when we gather together. Some mornings it's more so than others. When sickness is ravaging us, it's less. Okay, when the government tries to shut us down, yeah, it's a little bit less. But we rallied around that one, didn't we? And so this is the first pillar of worship and prayer. Second pillar, leadership and discipleship. The role of learning for the disciple of Jesus Christ cannot be overemphasized. It's a hallmark of the disciple as we follow Jesus. Therefore, we provide opportunities at all age levels for growth in the Christian life through personal discipleship, classroom instruction, and training opportunities for practical experience in hands-on ministry. We've had evangelism seminars. I've taught how to go through the Chronicles of Redemption for home Bible studies. We've had deacon studies to understand what the New Testament teaches about deacons. We're about to launch a time uh, to help young men understand what it is to be a man in today's world on Friday mornings. We pursue the biblical model of older men teaching younger men and older women teaching younger women through ongoing biblical manhood and womanhood seminars and classes. We've had women's seminars taught by a man. But we've had really great women's Bible studies taught by women. We foster hands-on mentoring within the context of real-life situations and ministry. I can't tell you how many men that I've worked with in, how can you say this, Um, in conversations, difficult conversations with people 
because there was a break in the relationship where they saw them doing something that they felt was not right biblically sin. And so they come to me, because I'm pastor, right? And they tell me about it. Well, I'm not supposed to go into everybody's life when you're the one that saw it. And I say, here, let's look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. It says that you who are spiritual, if you've seen somebody overtaken in a fault, that you are to be the one to go to them. And Matthew 18 says, if you've seen a brother sin, go to him, just you and him, and talk to him. I can't tell you how many people I've shared to do that. You know what that does? That's, that's the, the, the killer to gossip and slander within the body of Christ. When you're ministering to one another the way the New Testament teaches us to minister to one another, instead of going to pastor and tattling. Oh, I'm mean, telling me. Okay? You know, don't be like that. Take your concern, and in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, it says, be careful, though, when you go. Go in prayer, because you might be mistaken. You might have misunderstood something that was said, or maybe misseen something you thought you saw. So go with a questioning heart. But that's discipling that takes place. You know, a lot of times people say, what's your discipleship program? We say life. (laughs) Just living with each other. Come to church. Come to the Bible studies. Rub up against each other. Believe me, discipleship will take place. Because it does. And that's the New Testament way. We give special care and attention to young men, as I mentioned, as the future leaders of their families and the church, establishing clear understanding of gender role and godly character is a primary concern for us so that these young men will become change agents within their spheres of influence, in their family, in school, in workplace, in community, in society at large, and for the glory of God. We're starting up trail life in January, Lord willing. It's, it's a a Christian Boy Scouts that has all the components of Boy Scouts for young boys and their fathers to stand alongside them to establish gender roles well and true. So that's learning and discipleship and what we aspire and pursue here at Beacon of Hope. Thirdly, fellowship and community. We believe fellowship in the church is supernaturally created by the Holy Spirit when the lives of believers are brought into koinonia. That's a New Testament word that means fellowship, partnership. It cannot be worked up by planned events like a potluck dinner. Okay? Some people say, well, we're going to have a fellowship dinner. Okay, that's cool. But it doesn't mean that there will necessarily be fellowship just because you have a fellowship dinner. That's not how you generate fellowship. You generate fellowship by evangelism so that people come into the body of Christ and then when they're believers, they will automatically experience this this magical thing called koinonia. It's fellowship with one another. I used to thrill to see Americans come over to Taliabo, to the little island Mary and I served on in Indonesia. They didn't know a stick of Indonesian or or Taliabo language. And yet, if they were regenerate people, they would instantly have rapport with these Taliabo believers, and the Taliabo believers would have rapport with these people. That is not magical. I said magical. It's supernatural. It's beyond the pale. You can't generate that kind of stuff because you eat food together. 
It's a supernatural thing that God does. And it's called fellowship. Fellowship is demonstrated when Christians meet one another in joy, deliberately act in response to one another's needs, and quickly move to alleviate disharmony within the body. You see a brother and sister having a dispute? Enter in. Be a peacemaker. Bring them together. Are you having a dispute with another brother or sister? Don't be unforgiving. Be loving. The enabling grace of God will give you the strength to do that. So we promote modeling the truth that our communication be marked with grace-filled use of the tongue rather than gossip and slander. We strive to be like the first century church where togetherness marked their worship, prayer, song, study, and work. That's a New Testament church. People are dying for fellowship like that. People are dying to have a community like that all around us, folks. The people on the east side, just east of us here, are killing each other. Why do they hate each other so much? They're trying to satisfy something. And just because they don't have that satisfaction, they kill and maim, fight, argue. Fourthly, evangelism and mission, the fourth pillar, evangelism and mission. We understand the church is to grow numerically through evangelism. That is the main way the church is to grow, is through evangelism, rather than by transference from other churches. But, and this is a big but in these days, and at this time in our culture, Transference does occur as many previously biblical churches are increasingly influenced by the surrounding culture. So many churches are becoming woke, which is a word that I have come to absolutely despise. It's just terrible what's happening to good Bible-believing churches because the pastors and leadership feel that they need to be pertinent to the culture, relevant, That's not true. You need to be faithful to the word of God, not relevant to the culture. Uh, To be perfectly honest with you, this is contra-culture. Do you know what culture is? I mean, I'm trained in cross-cultural ministry. And do you know what culture is? Culture is unregenerate people trying to figure out what life's about. That's what culture is. Okay? It's really simple. And it doesn't hold any weight at all with this. Now, we need to understand culture in order to speak intelligently into that culture, but, boy, it doesn't have any weight with this at all. And this is typically contrary to culture. Typically. Almost got off on a tangent, didn't I? Well, evangelism and mission... We really are focusing and want to focus on the east side of St. Paul, Maplewood, Lower Town, Oakdale, Woodbury, and beyond. Right now, we're building ourselves up. Some of us are beginning to minister out. We need to be better at this. Now, just because these are our pillars do not mean that we're firing on all five cylinders. <laughs> okay, Some of these we do well. Other ones we're lagging a little bit. Well, that's where we need to really focus more on that. And the glory of working with these five pillars is that they should all complement one another so that they're all happening in each context. So that you have worship and discipleship 
in the midst of mercy and compassion ministry or evangelism and mission. There should be worship and prayer involved in that. And, and they complement each other, and that's the way you keep your balance and so that you don't become a missions church. Or today it's really popular, a worship church, where everything's focused on the worship with the lights and the foggers and the killer bands where they hire in people to come from the outside, session musicians, so that they have killer worship music. Worship music? What? Is it worship? If you're not a believer, but you can play guitar really well, is that worship? No. I'll answer it for you. We train and use the Chronicles of Redemption, which is a scripture-dependent teaching guide for evangelism. It's designed to build a biblical worldview into which the gospel can then be clearly and boldly communicated. I call it evangelism for postmoderns. It's what it is. It establishes a biblical worldview. It begins in Genesis and works through the Old Testament up to the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it gives people an understanding of what the Bible is, and what sin is, and who people are, and who God is, and what his plan is. And then you preach the gospel. So at least they know what they're rejecting if they reject We intentionally motivate our people here to serve and support strategic ministries around the world. That's our missions outreach, focusing on church planting and unreached people groups, theological education for national pastors that need it, and assisted training national expositors to plant churches in their own countries. There's such a need for this. We are so absolutely glutted with Christian literature in this country. And many countries don't even have the Bible translated into their language, let alone Christian publishing at all. There's so much to be done. Fifthly, the fifth pillar, mercy and compassion. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Now that's a verse that is used by, you know, these social justice warriors and so forth. But I believe that it's it's much deeper than that. Beacon of Hope will develop our own unique ministry of mercy by looking at the needs closest to us and meeting them through loving deeds and a spirit of encouragement. And we're doing that. We're doing that on a lot of different levels. Our deacons, you'll hear more about the deacons in a moment, but our deacons have their ear to the ground. And we don't just serve the church. We also serve people outside the church. We've helped people do a funeral for their mother because they didn't have the money to do that. Don't know her from Adam. She just called and asked for assistance, and we met with her and talked to her. She was not a believer, but she was in need, and she asked for help. How can we say no to that after we get to know her and realize this isn't a scam? It's for real. She just wants to bury her mom. And we're able to help her. And, and that's what you're at the retiring offering when you put money in the little basket after on communion Sundays in the back. That's where that money goes to. It's a benevolence fund to help those folks and people within our own congregation that have fallen on hard times, maybe lost their job or maybe, man... We're going to have to start upping our ante a little bit 
in that donation, right? Because I went to the supermarket this week. Mud on. That's Italian. It means my mother. <laughs> wow. I mean, I looked at the basket and I looked at the price and they're like, can you check that over again? Well, hey, all of you are experiencing that too. And I'm sure all your salaries have gone up to the same percentage, right? I know mine has. Lying. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm just saying. It's going to get tough, folks. And this is where we can be meeting each other's needs. Mercy and compassion. As a priority, we'll give to needy Christians both intensively and extensively until their need is met. We want to help people out that have needs. But we must also share generously with those that have not yet believed as part of our witness to the world and because it reflects the nature of God who is merciful to all. Here's what mercy is. Mercy is seeing a man without food and giving him food. That's hard, isn't it? Mercy is seeing a person begging for love and giving him love. Mercy is seeing someone lonely and giving him some company. Mercy is meeting the need, not just feeling it. Well, that's the five pillars that we operate on. I'd like to now just bring to you, very quickly, eight benefits of membership in a local church. Today, we're welcoming a number of people into the membership. And membership in a local church is implicit in the New Testament. Add it to their number. There, there was roles that they kept because we know that widows had to be on a roll. So obviously the local churches knew who were part of them. You could never practice what is called church discipline if you did not know who your members were. Because what do we have to do with someone outside? That's not our responsibility. So the first thing that uh, being part of a church offers is loving accountability. Okay, God wants you to have Christian friends to help you live for him. All the one another's in the New Testament are to be practiced in the context of a local church. <laughs> That's why we exist, right? Secondly, mutual edification. Each believer is given a spiritual gift for the common good, it says. It's not for yourself. It's for the common good. In another place, it says equipping for the equipping of the saints have these gifts been given in Ephesians 4.12. We benefit from, from and are a benefit to others as we live out our gifts that we've received. Thirdly, exemplary leadership. God has given us spiritual leaders to guide our lives. Now, I call it exemplary, not because we're super ordinary, super special people. That's one meaning of the word exemplary. Another meaning of the word exemplary is that they are examples. And that's the meaning that I'm meaning. These leaders correct when there's sin and encourage as examples of love to God and to one another. And while we're not perfect, we are mature Christians. And we can say to you, even as Paul said to the Corinthians, Follow me even as we follow Christ. And that is what we can do to model the Christian life before you. Fourthly, theological safeguards. 
If you're a sheep straying from the flock, the wolves will target you. Okay? And when you're alone, you're more capable of believing wrong things based on your own personal study lacking input from other Christians. You need to be part of us so that we can help protect you with sound doctrine. Uh, There is so much error on the internet. So many blogs are just absolutely from the pit of hell. And they sound so good. So very, very good. But remember, it only takes one drop of poison and a really good glass of tea to completely kill you. One drop. Be careful. That's why you need theological safeguards. Fifthly, there are the appointed ordinances for the local church, two of them, baptism and communion. And God commands us to celebrate these two ordinances. And by witnessing new believers' baptisms, we're encouraged by the public testimonies, aren't we? And by partaking in communion regularly, once a month we do it here, we can look back to Christ's sacrifice, look inward for self-examination, and if necessary, to repent, and then look forward to the return of Christ together, corporately. That's the ordinances. And they're done within the context of the church. Jack, who sits under the tree and worships God, can't have ordinances. Because he's all by himself, right? Number six, biblical preaching. The word of God sanctifies. John 17, 17. Putting yourself under regular preaching of God's word will expose your sin and instruct you on how to grow in Christ-likeness, as well as affirm you and encourage you in your Christian life. When you have as your pastor John MacArthur, who's a lovely man, he's a phenomenal teacher, but if that's your pastor and you listen to him and don't go to a local church and aren't plugged into a local church, You don't have no pastor. He doesn't know your life. He doesn't know who you are. He doesn't know where your weaknesses lie. He doesn't know what what successes you've had in your Christian life. You can't be pastored by a, a celebrity pastor. We're all blessed by their ministries, but none of them would say, hey, just listen to me on the radio, that's cool. None of them would say that. You need to be part of a local church and submit yourself to the biblical preaching of God's word. Seventh, consistent giving. Becoming a member in the local church provides a unique opportunity to further uh, the ministry of the church by providing an avenue for consistent giving. Eighth, effective outreach. Being part of a functioning church is a great aid to evangelism. Being alone only exacerbates the tendency to fear the sharing of the gospel or to drop into laziness and not share it at all. But evangelizing alongside other Christians emboldens us when we're fearful and spurs us on when we're lazy. In addition, there's corporate testimony of the church itself as we interact lovingly with one another. It's by our love to one another that the world knows that we are Christians. So the church itself is an evangelistic tool. 